Before I start the show, I want to mention my AWS S3 command line course from Udemy. You can get that with 20% off using the link in the show notes below. So if you're manipulating AWS S3 buckets via the command line, then do check that out. Also, a massive thank you to all of the Patreon supporters for supporting How to Code Well. If you want to support the channel and if you want to get early access to some of the content, then please consider becoming a Patreon. Link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello, coders, and welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today, I'm going to be answering a question that I got from Exabyte on the previous live coding stream on Twitch. Exabyte asks, have I ever considered making a course or guide for intermediate to advanced devs? I'm looking over here because I'm reading this off of my notes. Basically, everything you use in your workflow, just an overview and links to resources to learn more. Exabyte then goes on to say everything from frameworks to tools used to Docker workflow, testing frameworks and all of that stuff. So there's quite a lot there to to work through. And I thought that I would use this podcast as an opportunity to talk about my workflow. It's not necessarily, it's not, not going to be a guide. I'm not going to say that you should do this and then you should do that. I might say that you need to expect this when you are maybe coming up to an intermediate to an advanced developer. But to be honest, it's very difficult for me to define what an intermediate developer is compared to an advanced developer compared to a junior developer. The thing is, everybody has a different experience and they have a different um, sort of attitude or they they learn in a different way and they have a different circumstance. It's, it's not a one size fits all kind of deal. What I will say though, that there are certain things that you need to expect to happen or to do when you get to that point. So first of all, let's talk about my workflow, the tools that I use on a day-to-day basis. So what I've done is I've created a list here of all the tools that I've used in pretty much the past three months. Okay. Cause if I was to list every tool that I've ever used, then that would, uh, we would be here all day. So the first of all, I've, I've broken this up into like bugs and hosting and and uh, frameworks and all of that stuff. So we'll start with bugs first. So where do the bugs stroke features uh, end up? So normally they would start in Trello. So Trello is, is a way of creating cards and boards and so forth. Um, so for rather large projects, they would usually start in Trello and then they would migrate to Jira. The reason being is that when you've got a very large project that you're working through, that it usually goes through a sort of design by committee in the sense that the Trello cards need to be reviewed and checked off before they actually get turned into Jira tickets, Jira um, sort of work packages, if you will. Um, So they end up into Jira and Jira is, you know, it's usually the place where I create sprints or sprints are created for me and I, and I am given tasks to do tasks and bugs to, to fix. And Jira is, is like I said, it's, um, it gives you the ability to, to have sprints and that's usually how I work. So usually what happens is that there is a sprint that is defined within say, 
a few weeks or so. And I know what I need to do within those few weeks based on the Jira tickets that are assigned to me. And these tickets are, have uh, relations to other tickets. They might be blocking other tickets and so forth. It's quite different. This sort of aspect is quite different depending on the size and complexity of the project that you're working on. Some projects that I've done just end up in Trello because that's all that's all that's needed. And to be honest, if you are one of, say, two or three developers, then maybe Trello is the only thing that you need. But if you are in, say, teams of five plus devs, you know, I've been in teams of, say, 30, for instance, Jira is the way to go because that's that gives you more of a, a granular control of the ticket and you're aware of where that ticket lies in regards to other things. And also with Jira, you can pull in tickets, you know, actual customer bugs from other external sources too. And I've, I've used that as well. So Jira, now I used to use track. So track used to be, um, the way that uh, I would do it many, many years ago. But like I said, we, we are working just on the past three months. So Trello and Jira is what I've used there. The next thing in my list is the IDE. So this is the editor that I use on a daily basis. This has always been for the past three months, PHP Storm, or if I'm writing any Python code, that is PyCharm. Now, many, many moons ago, I, I did use, say, Eclipse, and then I used NetBeans and other, other bits and pieces too. I even started out using Dreamweaver back in the day uh, with the Macromedia suites, if anyone can remember that. But for the past three months, it's just been PHP Storm, and I'm extremely happy with how PHP Storm is. Um, and like I said, PyCharm for Python work. And with Python work, I'll talk about the different works I do. But with Python, it's usually in the past three months just been writing scripts to update various things. Uh, so nothing really sort of heavyweight with Python. It's mostly been script work in the past three months, at least. We also have a lot of tooling. Oops. So that's the IDE. Now let's talk about the different tooling that I use. Now, recently, the tooling have has been fired off or triggered by a makefile. So I usually have a makefile in all of my projects, regardless of whether they're front end or back end. And then I run make and then a command, and that triggers off various different things. So for example, static analysis, PHP stan, mess detection, pdepend, PHP lock, various different things to just check and audit the code. And I guess the bigger the project, the the more likely you'll come across this, I think, in my opinion. And also the more likely that these things will be the gatekeepers that prevent you from putting code into a code base, into a source control. And there'll be things in place to review the code and check the code. We'll talk about code reviews in just a second. But in my experience, the bigger the project, the more likely it is that there'll be a pipeline of some description and these automated tests and checks will be in place. The smaller projects, the small sort of projects um, doesn't really happen as much in my experience. That's not to say that they should happen, but uh, it doesn't really happen in my experience. I would obviously prefer it to happen. And that's what we have here on the howtocowell.net website, the new one that, that I'm building on Twitch. There is a, a make tests command that fires off or triggers off various different tests and checks and then either returns uh, okay or not okay and then prevents the pipeline from going further down the line. 
So yes, there's a lot of tooling. There's a lot of tooling in, involved. Um, there's also checks that you can do against the database. Obviously, there's there's PHP unit and codeception. So there's a lot of testing and checking with all of that stuff. And I guess leaning on to the whole sort of what to expect when you're moving from perhaps an intermediate to an advanced developer is that be prepared for your code to be reviewed in an automated sense, but also as a from a manual perspective as well. So for example, there are projects that I'm working on at the moment where I just simply do not have the permissions to merge my code into the main branch until I create a, a pull request and that actually gets reviewed by another member of the team. It doesn't have to be a member who is, you know, a senior member. It could just be another member of the team. Now, this doesn't usually happen in my experience when you're working on small projects where you've got small teams. I guess it's because of there's a, there's a time thing, but be prepared that when you work on bigger projects that you're going to have to have your code reviewed. Now, this is a bit of a wake up call. Certainly is a wake up call when you've got other developers who are thinking in a, in a similar logical way that you are because they're working on the same project. They're aware of the various other bits and pieces to do with the project and they can look at the code with fresh eyes and usually they will say, have you thought about this? Or perhaps we should do it like that. Or there needs to be no more logging happening at this point. You know, they are there to prevent any nasties coming into the code. And also they are, they're done. The code reviews are done. So other people on the team are aware of what is going on. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite risky when you've got a very large project and people just work on you know, their own pieces of code in a satellite fashion. And then everybody has the ability to merge their code into the main branch because, you know, there's all sorts of problems that could uh, come from that different conflicts, different, you know, variables being called different things and so on and so forth. So it's always good to have that sort of level of gatekeeping to prevent anything from going in. And in my experience, this happens far more when you are moving from that sort of intermediate stroke advanced sort of dev role or when you're working at least on bigger, bigger projects. So let's talk about hosting, right? So what, you know, what, what, what's my workflow with hosting here? Most of the time within the past three months or so, I've been working either on AWS or some form of flavor of Linux using perhaps a, a cPanel or something like that, that, you know, has a sort of a GUI that uh, the client can use to, to, play around with bits and pieces or other developers can do that. So usually it's AWS. It's always Linux. I've never worked in the, well, in the past three months, I've never worked on any windows stuff when it windows hosting. So it's always been Linux. I've always had access through perhaps SSH into that particular thing. So that's always good. And also with the bigger projects, you have to expect that uh, there is different environments that are set up. So you've got uh, your development environment, obviously your laptop or your, your uh, desktop or what have you, but then you've got external environments such as a staging environment or say a testing environment. Um, and then of course you have your production environment too. Now be prepared that, you know, the bigger the project, the, the more likely the, uh, there'll, there'll be other teams looking after those things. So you may have to jump 
uh, few, I can't say it. You may need to, so you may need to jump through a few hoops in order to get changes approved and updated. Also, you need to be prepared to justify the need for these changes as well. This is all part and parcel. You know, these, these things aren't put in place to prevent you to do it from doing anything. These things are put in place to make sure that the things that you're requesting are the things that actually need to happen. It might be, you know, you might, you might just say, Oh, I need such and such open or a port open on here or all of that stuff, but it needs to be vetted and approved first of all by someone who is very skilled in that. So be prepared that the bigger the project, the more likely that kind of stuff is going to be handled by another developer who specializes in those kind of uh, operational infrastructure type decisions. In terms of how I run my, my sites and my projects, Usually it's all been through Docker. So Docker has been the thing that has been hosting these projects. And there is a lot of projects that I've, I've uh, played around with that have Docker in production. And it's a requirement to know Docker before I actually start working on the stuff. However, that's not always been the case. There's been projects, especially this year, where I've had to use LAMP stacks, unfortunately, even though I was kicking and screaming about it, that I wanted to use Docker, but it was just the nature of the project. I couldn't use Docker, unfortunately. It's a case of, you know, you have to use whatever the, the client is using and you, you can't deviate really from what the rest of the team uh, needs. So... It has been, it has been a little bit of a mixed bag, but usually, usually I stick to Docker. Now, in terms of the workflow of pushing to different, uh, environments, say staging, testing, production and all that stuff, it's very, very different for all the projects. You know, that's very, very different. And it's it, the bigger the project, it, the, the, the more, um, ownership that is on the people who, who build that kind of infrastructure. So the bigger the project, the more sort of, um, I don't want to use the word pigeonhole, but the more sort of uh, defined my role is in the sense of I'm just do this and then someone else does that, that kind of thing, if that makes sense. The smaller the project, the more hats you have to wear. So the more things that you actually need to be aware of, for instance. So yeah, Docker is something that I use on a day-to-day basis. However, there has been, like I said, a couple of projects that have been in LAMP stacks, unfortunately. Um, but that's just the way it, it, that's just the way it goes. And you have to be flexible and you have to adapt to all of this stuff. In fact, because I was using Docker for so long, I actually had to relearn how to use LAMP. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's just the way it is. The next thing on my list is frameworks. These are all the frameworks that I've been using in the past three months on the projects that I've been developing. So I'll go through the PHP stuff first and then we'll go Python and then front end. So with the PHP stuff, it's been Laravel, it's been Symfony, it's been Magento, it's been Concrete 5. Uh, I think they're the four that cover it. In terms of Python, I did mention that it's only really been writing scripts. So there hasn't really been any frameworks, although we've been using a lot of libraries, of course, but there hasn't been many frameworks in Python. However, in the previous years, there was Django, there was Flask and all of that good stuff. In regards to the front end, it's mostly been Vue in terms of the projects that I've been working on um, over React. However, obviously I do a lot of React 
on the live streams. So that kind of balances that out, but it's mostly been view and that's been tied to things like Laravel as well as say bootstrap. So there's a, a, a nice little ecosystem with bootstrap and view that I've been playing with, 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 with clients and so forth, which is nice. And with the CSS, I have to be brutally honest. The projects that I'm dealing with at the moment, it hasn't always been like this, but the projects that I've been dealing with at the moment, the CSS has already been done for me by CSS developers, which has been wonderful. So I can't really say what I've been playing with in terms of that tooling. I mean, before it was things like Bootstrap, as I've mentioned, um, it was various things like uh, Material UI and other crazy things like that, SaaS, uh, less, that kind of thing. But at the moment, I don't necessarily need to worry about that kind of stuff at the moment, which is great. Um, at the moment, it's been focusing mostly leaning on the back end with a little bit of JavaScript. Okay, so now let's talk about the other sort of miscellaneous tools that I use on a day-to-day basis. So iTerm is the biggest thing that I use. So on any machine that I use, it doesn't matter if it's a desktop or a laptop, it's, I use iTerm as a means of the terminal. And with that, I use Oh My Z Shell. Oh My Z Shell, I think it is. I've, I've customized that to my own workflow. I have my own alias scripts that I, that I can, uh, use with shortcut keys and it, it brings various different things up. Say, for example, the Git branches and all of that jazz, the Git logs. Um, and I can change the types of identities in terms of SSH through shortcut keys as well. I can manipulate my host entry files through that as well. So if I know that I'm, if I'm working on a particular project, I just press a key combination and then suddenly I'm in that mode and I can just go to localhost and that changes to be whatever project that I'm working on, whatever client that I'm dealing with at that time, which has been wonderful, which has been very, very wonderful. It's helped me sort of separate the projects, uh, which has been good. In terms of iTerm, in terms of how to, how I edit the stuff, you know, edit files, I usually use Nano and I know that people, a lot of people will laugh at that. You know, why don't you just use Vim? I have, I am able to use Vim, but I just find Vim very complicated. Um, and you know, why make life more complicated than it needs to be? So I use Nano. And to be honest, if I'm, if I'm manipulating large portions of the file needing to do sort of pattern recognition, then I just use said to do that. Um, so that's fine. Uh, you know, the, the, the more, time that I'm not in a file in the terminal is the more time that I can actually run commands. That's my opinion. So if I'm, if I want to be in a file, I would prefer to do that in an IDE (laughs) and then just use the terminal to manipulate the files and, and so forth if I need to. So let's talk about testing and just the whole development process of building a project. So testing is very important. The, the, the more advanced you go, I suppose. I mean, t- to be honest, I mean, that doesn't sound right because testing is important regardless. But if you're just starting out, I very much doubt that you will be writing, you know, test driven development. I don't, I, 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 I very much doubt that there'll, there'll be a requirement for that by the client or by your development team because it's such a small project. However, the larger projects, the projects that you're working on on a big, with a big team, which is a lot of money and there's developers that rely on your code and you rely on other developers code. 
there needs to be a level of testing. Needs and unfortunately, I, I haven't seen a lot of a lot of testing out in the wild. However, I am aware that there is certainly testing in the wild, of course. But um, it would be nice to see more, <laughs> and uh, it would be nice to have. Uh, different levels of testing. So API tests, integration tests, unit tests, all of that kind of stuff, acceptance tests and so forth. I haven't actually worked on a project that has huge amounts of tests. I, I did. However, there was one project where we got to a couple of thousand tests, which was fine, which is good. The more advanced I think you go, the uh, the more likely that there will be tests involved with the pipeline, with the uh, continual integration, continual delivery kind of stuff. So I would I would suggest to expect these kind of things. Um, more uh, advanced you are compared to when you're a junior, and it sounds really really daft because in my opinion, everybody needs to learn how to write tests. Reg- regardless of the level of skill that you are, because tests are so important. There are so many vital systems that are used on a day-to-day basis that just don't have the right level of tests. It's actually quite shocking, and it's really difficult as a freelancer to come on board to a project and go, ah, I need to adjust this feature or add to this feature, but there's no tests for me to run to let me know that A, I've set my system up correctly, and B, that I'm not going to interfere with anything else. So in my opinion, testing is really, really important. And I'm kind of trying to take it upon myself to write tests rather than have other people to uh, to tell me that I need to write tests. The last thing I want to mention is something that you need to expect, in my opinion, as you progress in your web development career. Now, I mentioned at the start of this about sprints and, you know, the tickets or cards or what have you. They're in Jira. Now, at the start of the sprint, these could be very sort of unscoped or highly scoped in terms of the feature, but unscoped in terms of the technicalities of how that feature is going to be created and developed. It's up to you as a developer to take ownership of that, to think about, usually, unfortunately, in a very short space of time, but think about how you are actually going to develop that that feature and how that implicates or impacts other features and what other developers are are doing at the same time. So for example, does this feature require any database changes? If so, that's going to require a migration script. Is there any kind of data import that you need to run? If so, that's going to require a console script. Is there going to be any changes to the class architecture? Is there going to be any changes or impacts to the front end? That kind of questions that you have to ask yourself. What I usually do is I usually write down sort of very defined bullet points. I try and keep them as defined as I can. Bullet points of create this, do that, build this, adjust that, that kind of thing. Create those as bullet points or as checklists within your ticket and then just work through them one by one by one. And if you have a question, please ask, (laughs) please ask if you, if you write something out and you go, Oh, actually, I don't know how I'm going to do that. That's a question that you need to pose to the team. Um, and then unfortunately, the last thing that we have to do is estimates. And that's, that's a very, very tricky thing because, you know, how long is a piece of string? You can obviously give a, a, 
a good estimate. It's an estimate, right? So you can obviously give some form of indication of how long you think something's going to be, but the more technical, the more complex it is, then the more difficult uh, it will be to estimate depending on the different variables or the things that you have to investigate. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what I think that you, you need to expect when you progress in your career. And obviously there's, there's a lot more to this, but I, I want to keep this nice and, and short. We're already on 43 minutes before the edit. So I hope that helps, uh, Exabyte 3, uh, who asked that question on Twitch. So have I considered making a course guide for intermediate or, or to advanced developers, uh, and then talking about my workflow? So, it's not really a guide. It's more of what to expect or, and, and based on my own experience and my opinions. And of course, everybody has an opinion. So my opinion is probably going to be wrong depending on your perspective. So I would be very interested to hear if you've got any comments about this subject as well. Put them down in the comments section below. Thank you ever so much. Happy coding, everybody. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.